This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Kiss Her Goodbye, a Houston Cash Novel. And the author is Harvey Burgess, and Harvey joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Harvey. How are you doing, Steve? Well, I am doing great, and great is this mystery. In fact, there are those who call it hard-boiled detective. I think that sums it up, as you put it so well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to read just a little bit about Kiss Her Goodbye so everyone understands uh, what we're going to discuss. Kiss Her Goodbye is the story of private detective Houston Cash, whose life changes when a beautiful woman walks through his door and begs him to find her stalker. That chance meeting leads to a whirlwind of action, mystery, death, and romance with an explosive ending even the most adept reader won't see coming. Boy, that is the key to a story like this, isn't it? Never know what hit them. That's right. (laughs) So how do you know so much about all of this detective work, Harvey? I think you have been one or you are one. Well, um, I actually I started at a very young age. I grew up in a police family. Uh, my father was a career police officer, and, uh, and of course, that means I grew up surrounded by uh, all manner of, of uh, in my opinion, good guys, the cops, and uh, uh, kind of carried that in my life uh, as uh, uh as a bellwether to to who I was and what I wanted to be, and uh, of course, my career took off in journalism, as it turned out, and uh, I, I started out as a sports reporter and then progressed into the crime and courts scene as a reporter, and uh, even through all of that, and I did that for several years, I thought uh, I had this thing tugging me, saying, you want to be a cop, you want to be a cop. So I did take about a two-year break uh, in my career and was, in fact, a law enforcement officer. I was a sheriff's deputy with a uh, a somewhat small sheriff's department in eastern North Carolina. But uh, but I learned a lot. Uh, I already knew a lot from my upbringing, but you don't really learn the ropes, so to speak, until you pin that badge on. And when you pin that badge on, it's just like a lot of them say, that badge is, is very, very heavy and carries a lot of responsibility. And so I kind of learned that side of it, not just the outside of it looking in. So private detective Houston Cash, he's an ex-cop turned private investigator. He really doesn't expect his life to be extraordinary, but oh my goodness, extraordinary things. Why is it always extraordinary when the beautiful woman walks into the room? <laughs> Why is that? Well, it's um, uh, you, I think you expect someone to come walking into the room like like um, Sissy Devore was this particular client. Uh, you look up at her and you think, okay, she's having trouble with a boyfriend, or she's having trouble with her husband, or she wants me to follow somebody. And then she talks about being stalked, and then you then you think, okay, well. There might be more to this than meets the eye, and then it sort of evolves from that. Uh, it's uh, uh, an enigma wrapped in an enigma. <laughs> Tell and us, of course, the package. The package is very nice. Right. Well, it's always great to work for someone who is pretty to look at. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Tell us about a little bit more about Houston. Tell us about what makes him tick. Houston um, was a police officer. And uh, within police departments, as, as within really truly everything, there's a, there's a political structure. And sometimes uh, an individual can weather the political storm, and then sometimes they think, why am I weathering this political storm? 
and that was his dilemma. So he said, you know what, I'm going to get out of this and just be my own boss. I can't think of a better boss to have than myself. And, of course, him being a career police officer at the time, he thought, I'm going to have to get into something related to that. And the most lucrative field in that, as far as how many people participate in it and the ease of participating in it, is um, is private investigator. So he went out, went out and embarked on being a private investigator, but, of course, still kept his police connections because, as any good PI knows, you've got to have those police connections. Well, is Houston flashy, or is he just uh, down-to-earth, you know, good old friend kind of guy? He's a very down-to-earth, laid-back guy. He takes everything in stride. He uh, lives in the suburbs. Uh, He has a cat. He um, uh, drives kind of an old car and uh, uh, doesn't take life so seriously that he can't just kind of meander through it. And uh, he does the private investigation work, honestly, not for the money, but for the love of the fact that he's still involved. So here he is in the middle of two kidnappings of two prominent women. Mm Mm-hmm. And he finds a kind of joy in that, actually, because uh, naturally when you think of kidnapping, you think of the FBI and all this police involvement and everything. But because of the nature of what he gets drawn into, uh, those that are involved, the victims, uh, don't want uh, heavy-duty police involvement, as so many families do in actual kidnappings, quite frankly. And um, uh, so he's able to kind of deploy himself as this uh, almost um, uh, super sleuth uh, and do what other people perhaps can't do. Tell us about Aaron Drake, Houston's mentor. Aaron is an old retired police officer, police detective, who was Aaron's mentor on the force and taught him all the ins and outs of of criminal investigation. And then when Aaron, when Aaron retired, uh, he landed a job at the local, at the largest bank uh, in town as chief of security, but stays in touch with the crime world or the investigating world almost vicariously through Houston. And he kind of looks at Houston like a son. Uh, and, uh, and, and helps him as much as he can along the way. And, of course, uh, it's a good resource for Houston because Aaron still has a lot of good, strong law enforcement ties in the community. And, of course, we have the kidnapper who nobody will be able to guess who he is. That's right. But, and we won't say anything much about him except he likes to use the Bible. Yes, indeed. So is that just uh, his, uh, uh, what's the word for the split personality? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) he's bipolar. Yes, that's it. (laughs) Uh, It's uh, the interesting twist to that is, of course, that the kidnapper somehow knows uh, that the televangelist's wife, who is also missing, uh, he, he kind of pushes the televangelist's buttons with his own personal knowledge of things biblical. And that kind of just adds a little interesting twist to the whole storyline. Now there's, of course, this beautiful woman who, right at first, who comes and begs Houston to take her case, Sissy DeVore. Tell us about Sissy. Sissy is the second wife of the chief executive officer of the largest bank in town, which just happens to be one of the largest banks in the country. And um, she's, she was an employee of the bank, and when the boss's first wife died, he encountered Sissy and, of course, became immediately enamored of her. And she's kind of, she's quite naive and uh, uh, beautiful to a fault, though doesn't really, is one of those people who doesn't really know she's so beautiful. And um, uh, she sort of meanders through life kind of under this pall of being uh, the biggest CEO in town's wife and, um, and has to deal with that. And when she suspects that she is being stalked, she, of course, immediately goes to Aaron, who's the chief of security at the bank, 
and says, you know, who would I go to to help me find who's stalking me? And that's where the adventure begins. One of the key messages that you have in the book, uh, things aren't always what they seem, especially when it comes down to certain types of people. And, of course, that's what makes your mystery uh, tick and, and really grabs people and holds their interest. And it's, for instance, uh, there is uh, there, there's a there's a small sort of mob connection with one of the characters, uh, who at one time or another in his shadowy life was a mob enforcer. In the book, kiss her goodbye. You get to know him a little better, and find out he's a surprisingly articulate, kind of funny guy. Um, you find out that. Um, that the women in the book aren't always exactly what they seem. And certainly, without giving anything away, uh, the, the prime villain himself is probably the largest example of not being what he seems to be. And the reader will find out uh, about halfway through the book will get an, a remarkable revelation that changes the whole course of the story. Of course, in today's high-tech world, TV shows all about DNA research and fancy computers and all kinds of high-tech weapons and everything else. But yours, your story just hinges on plain old work and persistence. That's exactly right. Houston kind of eschews the uh, modern technology. It's all he can do to carry a cell phone. He's not into apps and texting and I this and I that because he knows basically that when it comes to criminal investigation, no matter what kind of material you have, it boils down to the gut feeling. It boils down to the basic investigation. And, uh, and, and I personally find that kind of intriguing about him, and, and having been around law enforcement for most of my adult life and being a part of it myself, I, I know that to be true. Uh, no matter how... Uh, high-tech things can get it comes down to instinct even in the even in today's cop shows uh, you'll notice that they'll use some kind of fancy stuff uh, let's say Hawaii 5 they use all these really fancy computerized things but bottom line the case isn't solved until somebody gets a gut feeling and pursues it and boom the case is solved And you write, you'll find yourself rooting for Houston from the get-go, and when things get rough, he's the kind of guy you want to have in your corner. Absolutely. If he is on your side, he is on your side. Uh, There are times in Kiss Her Goodbye when he has some little doubts about things that he's being told and whether they're true, but ultimately he gets to the root of the problem and kind of barrels through it like the kind of guy he is and becomes kind of the 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 pillar uh of of the whole story of course and uh people end up admiring him for that and realizing just what a rock solid guy this is after so many years as a journalist of course just reporting the facts uh, the focus on the facts how hard was it to do fiction it was really kind of easy because what you do with fiction and what most people do with fiction is take facts and manipulate them and uh, and and make them do what you want them to do rather than them creating their own realities and uh, it's quite frankly when I first started writing fiction and the first fiction I wrote was in the seventh grade um, I, I, I used it as an es- escape um, I of course um, you remember? I don't know if you're if you're old enough to remember Jack Webb. Of course, but uh, but he was a kind of just the facts kind of guy, and uh, and you can take the facts about anything and massage them and make quite an interesting adventure if you'd like, and it's and then it does provide that escape, and that's what I wrote fiction for for many many years. It was just a, just a personal escape. I would come home after a day of being a hard-nosed reporter and sit behind then my typewriter and later this blessed screen <laughs> and uh, and and just kind of go off on an adventure. I would, shuck, uh, I would shuck all that had happened that day 
and uh, and just create my own reality, if it as it were, uh, and and kind of kind of go off on an adventure. And it was just loads of fun. And then I decided at some point in recently in my career, you know, I could probably share this with people, and they might actually enjoy it. And you've patterned most of your characters from people you've known or dealt with in your professional life as a reporter. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, probably I have known at some time or another or been around or observed uh, people who uh, molded every character in this story. The title of the book, Kiss Her Goodbye, a Houston Cash novel, and the author is Harvey Burgess. Harvey, tell us how to get your book. Well, right now you can get it, of course, at iUniverse.com. You can also get it um, on Amazon.com and uh, BarnesandNoble.com. It's available in Kindle. And and also I have a website, uh, www.HarveyBurgess.com, uh, where you can also go and, um, and, and buy the Well, thank you, Harvey. Thanks for being with us on iUniverse Radio. I, it has been an absolute pleasure. We ought to do it again. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Ready for the most current feel-good gossip? Then check out Daytime with Donna with your host, Donna Intercastle. And sidekick Nina Fry. Every Friday afternoon at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Donna is a charismatic market-driven entrepreneur who was part of the team that founded iVillage.com, which is the largest content-driven community for women today. Donna and Nina are here to empower you, motivate you, and encourage you in all aspects of your life. It's like Oprah on the radio. Plus, your chance to win great prizes, all the way up to a $500 Visa gift card. For more on Donna Infocasso, check out her website, introinc.com. Then join us for the show, Daytime with Donna, with your host, Donna Infocasso, and sidekick Nina Fry. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Evermore, people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. These are the words of Dr. Viktor Frankl, the inspiration for the movie Victor and I. That's V-I-K-T-O-R and I, movie.com. And TalkSense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with host Mary Similuka and frequent contributor Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. More and more people today are discarding their quest for money, possessions, and things, and are instead beginning a serious quest to find meaning in life. Until now, these discussions were historically in the hands of priests, ministers, and scribes, then to philosophers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Now, these deep discussions are where they should be, in the hands of individuals, on the air, with you. Talk Sense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with your host, Mary Similuka, and frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central, on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Planning Your Marriage, a workbook guide for engaged and married couples. And the author is Paul E. Sago, and Paul joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Paul. Good to be with you, Steve. We are going to learn not only as engaged couples, but married couples. I, I love that because there's always something more to learn about being a better spouse. And it uh, looks like you have a, a workbook guide to help us do exactly that. Let me read what you have written about your book in general. You say this, planning your marriage is just that, the outline for a plan. Marriages do not just happen. It's important to think beyond the wedding, to learn the expectations of your partner, and to express yours. Usually, during the excitement of the engagement, very little attention is given to the marriage, to problems of relationship, home building, financial matters, and children. And, of course, ways to nourish the marriage. Well, through your professional life, uh, and I know you have a uh, doctorate in 
in counseling and, and other communications, right? Yes, I do. I My doctorate is in psychology, and I spent uh, about 50 years in the business of Christian higher education. And so I was very close to the students in my institution. I counseled with quite a few of them as a father figure because they were away from home. And sadly, I saw a lot of them go into emotional relationships and fail. So much attention, as you point out, is given to the marriage, to the actual event. And especially young people don't see beyond that. They're just excited to be with each other, to take this big step and, and you know, live happily ever after. Well, yes. I think every young woman uh, from the time she's probably four or five years old begins to be uh, a flower girl in someone's wedding, and they look forward to that as the grandest day of their life and sort of the kickoff that makes the game all complete. But it doesn't. It just doesn't. I write in another place in my book, if you permit me, I say marriages are not made in heaven. Sex will not solve all your problems. Romantic feelings are not a dependable emotion, and money may not make things better. And sadly, young couples find that out the hard way. Well, as one person who has read your book said, uh, in fact, a married woman in her 50s said, there should be a state law requiring every couple to read this book before they get married. Now that's, that's a, what a great what a great uh, testimony to your book. That thrilled me when she said that, and she's not just any lady. She's a very well educated, very brilliant lady who's in uh, in business and meets lots of people daily. So to have her say something like that meant a lot to me. So this is a workbook. Uh, you're you're going to take us step-by-step to help us just to be a better spouse, to have a better marriage? Well, yes. The first thing one has to do, there are 70 questions in this book, and there's a, they're meant to be discussed by the bride and the groom together, or the husband and wife, or even non-traditional couples that may be together. It'll work in any relationship. And you talk about each of these 70 questions, and I'll mention just a few of them. And uh, the bride gives her opinion, the groom gives his answer, and then if there's any negotiation, that get, gets written down too. And so it becomes a, a memento book of how you felt when you were getting ready to enter this great adventure. And it sometimes is a bit amusing, but always helpful when you're about 10 years into that adventure, to go back and look. For instance, let me give you the very first question, which people sort of chuckle at at first, and then they find out it's very meaningful. The first question is, why do you wish to marry this person? The response, because I love him or her, is not acceptable. (laughs) There are many men and women among your acquaintances, perhaps several of them you have dated previously, Exactly, why do you wish to marry this one? Tell your partner the things about him or her that you find attractive. Mannerisms, habits, honesty, dependability, positive nature, and perhaps even some little idiocentrics. And um, the very act of verbalizing these attractions may bring you closer. Well, so much emphasis is put on the way a person looks, uh, obviously uh, money, uh, you know, the, the, those, those things that you see in, on TV or in the movies. That seems to be the focus most of the time today. Yes, uh, the husband comes home from work and the bride is in an evening dress, meets him at the door, sleeps him away to a candlelight dinner that she spent all day preparing. There's no crying of children in the background, no disappointments, nothing about bills to be paid, mortgages to be met, or foreclosures, and it's not a very realistic picture. Now, in Chapter 2, it's titled Effective Communication. You make a very bold promise. I promise that if people will abide 
by these communication techniques, five of them, it is impossible to have an argument. Now, I will give you the bottom line first, and then we will go back and, if you wish, we can talk about these, each of these five techniques. The bottom line is, if you wish to have a good relationship, you with your wife, or me with mine, or any of those people who may be listening, if you want a good relationship, you will talk to each other about your deepest feelings. Let me say that again. The important word is feeling, not facts. You can argue about facts, but everyone has a right to their feelings, and feelings are neither right nor wrong. They're yours. I have often told couples in counseling that my wife can I, and I can be sitting in the same room watching TV. I may think the TV is too loud, and she may think the TV is not loud enough. Neither one of us are wrong as factually. We just feel differently about the, the, the sound. And uh, same can be with temperature in the room. I can feel it's too hot. She can feel it's too cold. We would never argue about something like that because facts are insignificant. It's how we feel that counts. And, therefore, it's how we feel about events that bring us together and keep us together that count there. Would you, Steve, would you like me to go through those five? Well, I think you could mention them in general. We don't want to go into too okay. much specifics. There's some other things we need to cover. But, yeah, why don't you just mention those for everyone? Well, there are just five things, and they're all very important, and I will go very quickly through them. The couple sits down at a table across from each other so they can look directly into each other's eyes. That's very important. To sit is very important because standing is aggressive. Most couples that argue, one is by the door leading out of the room, the other is in the middle of the room, and they're standing. It's aggressive. So sit. And if you're going to talk about something that bugs you or is a something that brings up negative attitudes, sitting is the first rule. And then you start the conversation, perhaps if you and your wife were doing this, Steve, you would say to your wife, honey, may I tell you how I feel about our vacation plans? And you're asking her permission. May I tell you how I feel? She would say yes, so she has granted permission. So she is obligated to hear how you feel. No facts, just feelings. No calling up the past, just how you feel now. So you tell her how you feel very honestly, and then after you state your feelings, she would say to you, may I tell you now how I feel about it? I understand your feelings. May I tell you how I feel? Now, no facts, never stand, never a loud voice, because loud voices indicate distance. You yell at someone across the street. You don't yell at someone who's sitting across the table. And the fifth rule is you discuss only the subject at hand and talk only about the immediate and the future and feelings. So I say to my wife, honey, can I tell you how I feel about going shopping today? And she will say, sure. I'll say, I'm really not into that mood today. I don't feel we should take our time to do that. Then she may say, well, I feel it's sort of necessary. Then we negotiate, but we don't argue. And this can get into sexual problems, financial problems, or any kind of problems that married couples face. And it can certainly help solve in-law problems, which are very common. Some of your other chapters are titled Building a Home, Domestic Matters, Financial Matters, When Children Come, Religion, The Second Marriage, uh, Nurturing yep. the Marriage. Uh, you also talk about the role of for the husband and the wife, the role. Now, explain what you mean. Well, 
coming since colonial days in New England, and uh, the Pilgrims are the uh, first settlers, whomever, they had political and historical disagreements on that now, but the first people here sort of were in a traditional rut that they brought from the old country. The woman stays in the cabin, and for the most part, she cooks pregnant and barefooted and cleans the house. The man takes his gun and goes out and shoots things and drags them home in order that they might have food on the table and something for her to cook. Uh, most of the women in those days didn't go fishing, but their husband went fishing. The women cleaned the fish. The husband shot a duck. The woman cleaned the duck and cooked it. There were feminine roles and masculine roles. And the masculine side got off pretty easy, particularly before there was an organized job market. More recently, young couple gets to marry, get married, a child comes, suddenly this young mother, young lady is a new mother with a crying baby and a house to clean and, and food to cook and bills to pay. And the husband gets up in the morning, the baby is crying, he can't wait to get to the office where things are quiet. And when he comes home, he thinks supper should be prepared and everything should be quiet because he's had a hard day. I have seen these kind of situations wreck marriage after marriage. So I'm convinced that we should kick out a lot of those ro of those roles, roles that we have taken for granted. For instance, my wife and I are now both retired. Uh, and we live at home all the time. By ourselves, we only have one car, so we go every place by ourselves. But when we get up in the morning, she goes to the kitchen and makes the coffee. I make the bed. We both sit down and have our coffee and the rolls that she has baked the day before, and we enjoy it a great deal. Then I clean the coffee pot and the coffee foamer and the few dishes we have while she checks out our messages on the computer. And we are happy as happy can be. Now, a second marriage, are the rules still the same, the problems still the same? Uh, sometimes they're worse because most people make the same mistake twice, unfortunately. Uh, we should learn, but we don't. And a lot of the problems in marriage are, of course, caused by finances, by sexual differences, by, uh, by finances, uh, they're caused by in-laws. And um, we, if people do not learn how to talk about their feelings related to those matters without arguing and fighting, it doesn't make any difference whether it's the second one, third one, fourth one, or a 72-hour one. 72 days, as I guess it was. Uh, marriages can end very quickly. So the key is communication, communicating your feelings. Exactly. In, in real estate, you talk to any trained, experienced real estate person, and they will tell you there are, is one word you use three times, and every real estate agent says this over and over. It's location, location, location. In marriage, it's communication, communication, communication. And there is a way to do it, and that is when my advice to sit down, look into each other's eyes, have something in your hands so you don't tend to wave. You don't wave if you have coffee, of course, or a drink. Ask permission to state your feelings, be honest, hear your partner's feelings, and then negotiate after knowing how each of you deeply feel. And it works. The title of the book, Planning Your Marriage, a workbook guide for engaged and married couples, and the author is Paul E. Sago. Paul, tell us how to get your book. Well, you can go online, of course. It's on, on email, on, on the normal sources. It's in a couple of million outlets. You can, If your local bookstore does not have it, you can uh, ask them to order it for you, or you can uh, send me a uh, an email at sago, S-A-G-O-P-D, 
That stands for Paul and Donna Sago PD at att.net. The cost is uh, 11.95 plus postage and handling, so it comes to about 13 something. Well, thank you, Paul. Thanks for being with us on iUniverse Radio. It was my pleasure. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. How to invest, where to invest, where to save, where to get the right insurance, what to do about taxes. Should I relocate my business or ever purchase a property? That's where Go To My Radio Show comes in. Join host Chris Holt Tuesday afternoons at 1 Pacific, 3 Central on GoToMyRadioShow.com. Choose the right financial professional and learn more about the products and services while learning the terminology and strategies used by these professionals. Go to my radio show is unbiased and Chris Holt, your host, will ask the hard questions and take calls to help you connect with the right professional who can help you better handle your financial and business choices. Go to my radio show is not a financial services company and does not offer any financial advice, but we will help you make the right choice when it comes to planning your financial future. And most of all, choosing the right program and the right professional for you. Go to my radio show with Chris Holt, Tuesday afternoons at 1 Pacific, 3 Central on GoToMyRadioShow.com. Hey moms, juggle your hats with our mom of many hats, Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Moms are always juggling their hats. And sometimes it's easy for moms to forget their value when life calls for switching from role to role. But the ability to juggle so many hats is priceless. She is never just a mom. She's a decision maker, coordinator, creative genius, counselor, a friend, an authority, and a leader in her household. On Mom of Many Hats Radio, we'll be talking about the hats that you as a mom juggle. We'll acknowledge your importance and support in helping you and all moms to not just defend your value, but to believe in your value. For more on the show and Angie, check out her website, azmamaminihats.com. She is a strong woman. She is powerful. She is wonderful. And she is valuable. Mom of Many Hats with Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Plenty of Carp, A Fishing Guide for Dating Singles. And the author is Cynthia Covell. And Cindy joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Cindy. Hello. Hello, Steve. How are you? Well, this is going to be a great discussion about fishing. And we're talking about fishing for the big one. (laughs) We're talking about just that right companion. And that is sometimes a lot of fishing, isn't it? Yes, it is, especially if you're trying to find the big one when most waters are full of littler fish. Well, you say this about your book. My one and only husband died in 2004. The first two years after his death were emotionally crippling. And it wasn't until year three that I could actually entertain the thought of dating another man. After a few years of using online dating with trying to find Mr. Right and only finding Mr. What I Don't Want, I decided to share these experiences using the short story and poem genre. The intent of the book is to help others experience with humor the online dating scene. This is a bold kind of road to follow, isn't it? I mean, most people wouldn't say, well, I need to write a book. Here I am single now, and I don't know what to do, and I'm trying to use technology. Uh, what was the motivation? I've always wanted to write a book. I, the first time I wanted to write a book was, uh, sadly enough, during the assassination of President Kennedy. I was so moved by the experience, I just felt that I had something to share. And it's the same with this book, uh, but it's, of course, a different situation here. But I've always had that bug inside of me to produce a book. I'm an educator. Uh, I love getting my, getting into the muck of, you know, papers all over the place and studying something and doing research. So, yeah, it, it, was a, it is a bold one. In fact, when I started putting things out there and having my friends read them, um, 
90% of the reaction, or even close, I'll even go out there and say 95, and there were women from ages 19 all the way up to 70, they were just cracking up because it really touched a funny bone. And then there are the other part that are, like you said, oh my gosh, how could you put this out here? I mean, it has some sexual connotations in it. People are going to read this. I go, well, yeah, well, you're only on the planet for a very short period of time. In 10 years, if I'm not here, who's going to even know or make that connection? And I've learned you have to take a risk. If you really believe in something that you want to share, regardless, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. So I felt this book was meant to be. So here you are, active on online dating services, and you're finding only CARP. Now, define CARP. CARP for me, after dating, when I first started dating, you know, three years after my husband passed away, the dating scene is very different as you get older, okay, because you have people who have already made a history. So there are, there are men who have multiple wives, multiple children, have lost all their money, have money, don't want to share their money, make you pay the bill for like a $10 salad. There just <laughs> is it's a different fishing pond than when you're 20 and trying to make things up as you go along. You haven't had your family. You don't have that much history. So the carp is a term I use because of having that much history. It takes a carp a long time to get that big, but once it gets big, it's, it's a pretty big fish. So that's what they just have baggage. And I have baggage too. I, I don't think I have, but I'm sure I do. <laughs> and it's just that we have had so many experiences as a person fishing, you have to decide what part of this can I accept? What part of this can I not accept? If you're going into this looking for someone as a relationship, so I, if someone has multiple wives, had multiple wives, multiple children, that's something I have to deal with because it's coming from his side. So that's why I call them CARP. It's what you have on the other side as far as their baggage. Tell us about the format for the CARP short stories. Kind of give us that, uh, you know, in general, how they're formatted. Okay. Um, I'm a person, a couple of things here. I love other people's wisdom. I learned that from a professor that I had when I was working on my grad work, that when you use someone else's wisdom or a quote, that really raises the bar with your wisdom because you're not just relying on your words, you're actually entertaining the thoughts of other people. And I've just been a fan of quotes since I heard him say that. So the, the format is I enter with a quote, from some famous person, some of them are from Shakespeare, some of them are from uh, uh, Mae West, uh, it's just a gamut, Meryl Streep, and that quote weaves through the story. So first of all, I start out with a quote, and then I have um, an introductory little paragraph from the carp. And the introductory paragraph is resembles what they put online as their introduction, like the lure. So they might say something like, I'm good looking, I like to go out to dinner, I like to hold hands. Most of the time the fellows put in some really, really romantic things. You know, I like beach walks and so on. So I introduce them with a little short story. Then that folds into the novella, which is the short story. And then at the end I have an epilogue that ties in what I did with that particular carp, or sometimes it is a fish. And then I end up with another quote. So Jack Nicholson back in 1970, 1971, made a movie called Five Easy Pieces. I call this my six easy pieces. So it's a quote, and then it opens up with a little bio, the novella, the epilogue, and um, the other quote. And also there's a preface in there. So it does end up being six pieces of stuff. And Cindy Lucy, as you call yourself in this, uh, has some wisdom and advice to share, just like out of a column in a newspaper. Yes, I liken into that. In fact, when I started thinking about a newspaper column like Sex in the City with Carrie Bradshaw and how she would write these articles, I mean, I could see that. I've learned first you have to feel something, then you have to see it, then you have to do it. Whether it was my writing or my teaching, uh, anything I have to have a feeling, see it, do it. And I also thought of like Frasier, you know, like where you'd have a talk in radio where girls would call in, or even guys for that matter. I talk to men all the time about this, and they share. They asked me if I would do a book from their side of the fishing pond. <laughs> I had a lot of, they, yeah, seriously, I have men who say, can you write, will you interview me? I had one guy chasing me around begging to be a carp so he could be in my book. <laughs> so um, 
I do have, and this is this is knowing yourself after a long time of being on the face of the earth. I know as a teacher, which I have done my entire life, going through school and then being in school since uh, I graduated from uh, undergrad school and I'm teaching out the university level, teachers have to have uh, an ability to connect. So for me to connect is I have to get my kids energized, I have to do something fun with them, uh, and it's called the anticipatory set. And teachers, true teachers, like Teacher Man, which was Frank McCourt, we are entertainers. When you think about it, we have to be on show six, seven hours a day. Okay? That's for sure. So, you you're, take the stage every day. Yes, we do. We take the stage. It's showtime. Right. So when you get up and no matter what you feel like, you have to be positive, perky, cup half full, or the glass has to be half full, and you have to be up there. And you know what? When you have that mindset, it's very easy to be there. I never had a problem. So you have to be up there and you have to be entertaining. So this is a real easy fit for me. Uh, I see life as a progression of steps of where you are today because of what you did yesterday. So today I'm able to write and connect with people because of my past experiences, not only with my life, but also with my teaching. So it's very, a very easy fit for me to think about talking to people. I don't have a problem with that, whether it's on a radio. Um, I've done the TV spot with a local TV station here. And again, it's just manifested through the fact that I've been in front of people my entire life. So it's what I know. Online dating or dating in general is a journey. We must remember that. It is a journey because you may not find someone the first time. Really, if you're going about it with the intent of looking for someone specifically, and I don't think you should settle. Just because you show up for dinner doesn't mean you have to go home with, with the dessert because that can lead to all kinds of problems. You know, how do you get them out of the house after 15 minutes? But... um the whole thing is a journey because if you are looking for someone, you have to decide as a person what are your negotiables and what are your non-negotiables. My first non-negotiable was my two grown sons. They are, I not only lost my husband, I lost the father of my two sons. And I promised myself and I promised my husband I would never bring someone in front of them unless I knew for sure it was someone I definitely had feelings for and it was the same for him. After seven years, my, my sons have never seen me with another man. I have not found anyone that I can negotiate with for them because of the loss of their father. That may sound like I have couples who say to me, well, don't you think that's kind of selfish that you're denying your own happiness because you place your sons in such high esteem? I said, no. It's, it's something that I said to myself, and I know my husband would expect this of me, that, you know, you have feelings for your sons, too. So it's not just a party every day and she'll come up and say, okay, look what I brought home today, and it wasn't the cat. That kind of a thing. It has to be something that, because of my relationship with my sons, I just can't compromise. I just can't, and it's just how I'm built. I just can't do it. So one thing I do do, though, is when I am going out on a date, I always call them. Well, we talk every day anyway. And I always tell them what I'm doing, where I'm going, and I'm only my cell phone away. And so that's what it is for me. So it is a journey. If you are looking for someone who is going to be a fit, not only for yourself, because I don't want to create any animosity with my sons. That's, that's just not going to happen. Someone, so you keep going through the journey, going through the journey, going through the journey, fishing, fishing, fishing. Does this person fit for me? Well, then what is it about this person that is actually going to capture my sons? Because this guy's going to have a tough act to follow. <laughs> right. Right. A lot of comparison. A lot of comparison all the time. Uh-huh. Right. A lot of scrutiny all the time. You know, when you go fishing, and I know this from being a fisherman, but, you know, especially uh, going out and coming back with nothing. And I'm still okay, though. That's what you're trying to emphasize, aren't you? You may go yes. fishing, but that doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. You just didn't catch any fish. 
That's right. Lots of fishermen, like you mentioned, go out all day long, come back with absolutely nothing. And you know something that I learned that that's all right. I did feel bad about that in the beginning because I didn't know what was wrong with me because I thought, well, I'm a perky little girl. Well, maybe someone doesn't want perky. I've learned that too. <laughs> Sometimes men sit across from me and I can just tell that they're uncomfortable because I'm a mile a minute. And if someone thinks that they have to keep up with me, then they're afraid of me also. They're intimidated or they don't want any part of it. In fact, I've had fellows introduce themselves to me. Hi, I'm whomever and I don't run. And I say, I didn't ask you to run. It's what <laughs> I do. It says in my biography, you know, what do you do? Right. I didn't ask you to do that. But that's, they feel threatened that um, they have to keep up. And if a person is really, really secure in themselves, they should understand that what they bring to their, whether it's running, golf, or whatever it is that they do, that's them because everyone is a separate being. And you have to love that separate being in order to offer yourself to someone else. So it is the fact that I'm all right. You don't like to run. That's okay. I don't like to play golf, but I can meet you in the clubhouse for happy hour. Okay, that's what it's all about. And you know what? There are a lot of people who are still single. For example, Jennifer Aniston. She's finally found someone. She's been single since Brad Pitt. And I think about all these people who are really single, and they're fine. Look at Oprah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Never married Stedman, and she's more than fine. So single is okay. Single is okay. Just in a little bit of time we have left, talk about your poetry. Oh, my poetry. Um, I love to write poetry, and with poetry for me, instead of writing a short story, it's something that happened to me very quickly, and I just put it down into words. The very first poem in the book is Airplanes and Airports, and it talks about a man who I was coming back from Seattle from visiting my son, and my daughter-in-law was with me also, and my other son and my grandson, and my daughter-in-law looks at me with those eyes, and I knew, oh, no, there's someone behind me that wants to talk to me. And here I'm in the airport, so she's smiling. So I turn around, and here's this wonderful-looking tall man with Adidas logo wear, and he was going to London, and he just wanted to chat with me. And it was just priceless. It was just a priceless situation. It was very short. We were in line going through security, and then we ended up at the same two gates across from each other, and it was just a moment. So my poetry comes to me very quick. It's something that happens. It's very spontaneous. I actually, after that incident, when I got on the plane, I actually pounded out that poem probably within just a couple of minutes. It's just something that just sparked it. And then there are other poems that I have in there that came from instances where I just could not get enough of a man to write a full short story. I could have, but the the meeting of whatever happened, the poetry fit it better. So it has to do with the fit. The title of the book, Plenty of Carp, A Fishing Guide for Dating Singles. And the author is Cynthia Covell. Cindy, tell us how to get your book. Well, there's a number of ways. You can go on Amazon.com. You can go to BarnesandNoble.com. You can go to my publisher, which is iUniverse.com. Uh, you can get it in hard, soft, and Kindle versions. And uh, that's those are the three highest places to go um, as far as online services. Thank you, Cindy. Thanks for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company iUniverse Radio is produced by Toginet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.